Hello there, and welcome back to the Field Study Podcast, the place for outdoor adventures in the great British countryside. Today you join me on a bright, sunny January day, and I'm exploring some hidden coves that are usually cut off by the tide. Now here on the south coast of the Isle of Wight, we have a lot of rocky coastline that's pretty much inaccessible. Back in Victorian times, there used to be a booming fishing industry down here, but all of the, the small fishing hamlets and villages and stuff have uh, long since gone and the cliff falls away here so readily that the uh, access to them has been completely wiped off the face of the earth. So what you have is uh, a string of beautiful little old fishing coves that are completely abandoned. In fact, where I am now is a sort of arm of rocks that stretches out towards the reef that surrounds the village. And my only company here are the cormorants who are looking at me a little bit Surprised, <laughs> probably surprised to see me, to be honest. So we're gonna have a little walk today and explore a few of these coves, uh, see what's washed up on the strand line and really just enjoy being down on the coast at low tide. Hopefully the soundscape of this rocky coastline will be a little patch of serenity in your day. So this stretch of water here is actually one of the most treacherous in the UK. So surrounding the village, uh, we have a, a rocky reef and apparently there are over 182 recorded shipwrecks off of the coast of just my village alone, which is a staggeringly high number. We've got a lighthouse here to warm people off the rocks uh, and it's really beautiful and barren, especially at this time of year. Although today, were it not for the chilly wind, I could probably convince myself it was May. So this first cove that we've come to has actually changed quite a lot since even I was last here about a month and a half ago. All of that heavy rain has caused some of the, um, the, the clay cliffs to really, really tumble down and fall. There used to be a whole series of perforations and boreholes here like small caves running into the thing. In fact, it's where I used to store my shrimp trap back in the summer. But those have all been covered over, sealed off by these new sort of clay mudslides. It's been dry for a couple of days and you can still hear the water trickling off the top. It's like a miniature waterfall. It's really strange walking along the strand line here because at the bottom of the cliff where it falls away you sometimes get some very strange exotic plants where the, uh, the old Victorian gardens of the Victorian houses that used to occupy this patch of land have slowly receded and come into the sea. So it's really odd, you find some very strange specimens. I found some quite rare ferns here because back in Victorian times it was quite popular uh, to collect ferns and to have a fernery. Also in between all of the boulders, you've got red bricks from previous structures down here that are sort of rounded at the edges by the tide. It's a beautiful cove. There used to be a whole entire fishing village down here. I've seen pictures of them all gathered next to the fishing huts with their, um, with their crab and shrimp traps, lobster traps made out of willow withies. So if you stay tuned over at the YouTube channel, I will actually be showing you guys how to make uh, lobster and shrimp traps out of willow withies, like would have been done down here on this beach in the winter months. So all through the winter, you would have 
cut your willow withies from the, uh, from the willow beds further inland and you would have made your shrimp traps ready for the summer season. In fact, someone that I know told me that when they used to fish down here, when they were younger, they still used to find the sort of curved bits of rock which um, the fishermen used to put in the bottom of these circular uh, withy traps as weights to keep them on the bottom of the seabed. So they'd get bits of the, um, the local green sandstone and they would uh, grind it into these sort of semicircular shapes and tie it to the bottom of the traps. And he said you used to find them still littered everywhere. I've yet to find one. Maybe I'll find one today, that'd be cool. Wow. So there's a huge boulder here. Um, I'm not sure if it's natural or whether it's part of the sea defences that they put in in the early 2000s, but imprinted into the, uh, the face of it. And you can just see it because the sunlight is glinting off it and uh, cutting in at such an angle. But you can see there's the imprint of an ammonite shell. In fact, two ammonite shells. And they're about as big as my hand. So they're quite large. Absolutely beautiful. You don't often see them down here much anymore. Um, lots of them got robbed out. It used to be quite a, a, a popular pastime to go and uh, hammer the rocks open and get the ammonites out of them. And you, you see less and less of them now, uh, especially on the, the beaches near my village. Um, and down at the Jurassic Coast down in, in Dorset and stuff, which is pretty much an extension of this coastline that I'm on now because they used to be connected at one point. Um, but down at the coast there, all of the fossils demanded such a premium at one point that people just um, went and took them off the beach. Which I guess in a way is kind of sad. And I guess without fossil collecting we wouldn't have such a, a detailed and rich sort of understanding of paleontology. So it's one of them things. There's pros and cons really. So this bit of beach is visited only occasionally by a few fishermen that come rock hopping across. and. Uh, there's a boat that goes and lays pots just off the, um, the coast. There's a little bit of a ledge here. But it really isn't that popular with people, which is why, because one of the most magical things happens sometimes in the, uh, in the spring and summer is you can be down here and there is a really old vixen um, and she's sort of graying at the face. Beautiful, beautiful red fur and then graying around the, uh, the fringes and she walks along the edge of the uh, rock pools. So at that time of year, if you go out on the rocks so that your, your scent isn't blown her way, you can watch her for ages, rooting through the rock pools for things. And she won't notice you, or at least she pretends not to. So I hope she's safe and sound with enough food for the winter. Um, and I really hope to see her next year. So it's not the lowest of tides today. Um, so the sea is quite far into the beach. So I've got to make good time going around here. If you're rock hopping like this, especially in terrain like this, you've really got to know what you're doing. Um, I've been doing this since I was about 12 years old and I know this beach like the back of my hand. There is um, there's certain markers that I look out for when the tide is incoming. So hopefully I should be all right, but I wouldn't recommend this for anyone that isn't extremely familiar with the landscape that they're walking in. It can be very treacherous. People have died down here. In fact, people get stuck quite frequently along this coastline. So definitely only do it if you know what you're doing. Um, always leave someone a detailed description of where you're going to be, what you're going to be up to, and a time that you're going to be back. It's just safe practice. And always, always, always have a backup plan. 
So because of its seclusion, this is one of my favorite beaches for gathering seaweeds. Um, and there's a video coming out on that very, very shortly if it hasn't come out already. We've got some truly delicious species down here and it is a beautiful place to light a fire and cook them. So if that sounds like something that would be of interest to you, then head over to my YouTube channel where I make weekly videos on foraging and wild food. So there's a beach along here that we used to refer to as the junk beach when we were kids because of the amount of rubbish and stuff that sort of gets sucked into a vortex and washes up there. Uh, historically, it's where all of the bodies from the shipwrecks used to wash up. Um, but when we were kids, we used to go down there and find all sorts of things. And back in the 2000s, there was a, a string of container ships that sort of capsized. So all of these big containers sort of split open and their cargo just spilled out and started washing up on the shores in the UK. And I remember going down there and the, the piles of wood were taller than my dad. So like six foot tall piles of wood. And if you walk through our village now, in people's front and back gardens, lots of the sheds and fences and stuff are made out of the wood that washed off of those ships. You can sort of pick them out because it's all of a similar sort of age. Until the National Trust got involved and they ordered the uh, owners of the ships to clear the beaches, which in our case meant setting light to these huge piles of wood. And the heat was so intense that it split the rocks open and scorched them red. And all the plastic that was on the beach sort of melted down and carbonized on the rocks. It looked like a, a hellscape. I went down there about a week after. It was like walking along an alien planet. Um, but with, as with all these things, it recovers over time. You wouldn't be able to tell now. There are lots of people in the village that now clean that beach almost on a weekly basis. So lots of stuff does wash up there but you rarely ever encounter it. And because of those projects and the people that clean it um, and their hard work, lots of wildlife has started returning to it. We get dolphins off of there. We've got blue rayed limpets um, in the kelp forest just off of it. And we've got uh, a pair of seals that sleep on the rocks out um, about, I don't know, about 20 meters off the coast. So these huge seals sort of just sleep on this massive rock. And there's a spot that I like to sometimes camp or spend the evening and uh, looking out on their silhouette as the sun sets. Yes, yeah, so it's a magical thing. They're excellent campmates, the seals. I wouldn't want to be in the water with them, but <laughs> when you're on land, it's all good. So I've come round the corner to another cove. And like I was saying earlier, lots of stuff washes up on this part of the coastline and there is a huge uh, rope that's washed off a container ship. And I mean, it's like a coil of rope as thick as a torso. It is, it is a pretty monstrous thing, but trapped underneath that is a crumbling packing pallet, which you might be thinking isn't that exciting. Calm down, Joseph. But attached to it are lots of a very, very tasty food. <laughs> So it's famous in different parts of the world. It's an absolute delicacy, but these ones are slightly too small to eat. It's obviously a relatively new colony and they are goose barnacles. So these odd sort of shellfish shapes that look like teardrops that are attached onto the wood by this thick sort of mollusk foot. Um, and that doesn't sound too appetizing, but I've heard they are absolutely delicious. Now we don't have much of a culture eating them in this country and they wash up so rarely, especially here, that I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to eat them. These ones are too small anyway. But it's good to see because that means that they must be out there off of our coast. 
I found a log, I think it was a, a year and a half ago, that had some rather mature ones on it, so they would have been good to eat. Um, however, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Some things are too rare and precious in the landscape that you forage in to even contemplate consuming it, especially when there's such an abundance of other things around. Some of the rocks down here are like Swiss cheese, where the uh, limpets have bored little home holes in. Um, so the limpet will sucker onto the rock and sort of spin itself round until it makes a little divot in it. And that means that if you get a strong tide or a storm blows in, that it can hunker down in there and most of the uh, force of the water is dissipated across its back and it won't become dislodged. And the limpet will go out roaming during the day and get food for itself by scraping it off the rock. But it will always return home to its little home bunker. And because of this, when the tide comes up and circulates around its shell, it sort of bores out a deeper hole around it, like a, like a canyon. So in the edges of these rocks, you've got these deep little limpet holes. Yeah, and they look like a sponge or Swiss cheese. Another of my favorite inhabitants of these beaches is uh, the ravens. There's a, there's a pair near where I am now, but I've seen them here relatively often, picking their way through the rock pools, I guess, looking for limpets and smashing their shells open, etc., and having a, a tasty seafood meal. But I remember being down here once in thick mist where you could only see about four rocks ahead of you. Really disorientating, sort of navigating my way along by the sound of the the waves lapping on my left-hand side. And all you could hear was the ravens following you along. I've always seen the crows as a sort of guardian spirit. And there's a colony of them at the back of my house. I'm lucky enough that my uh, study window looks out on it. It's always good to take a moment to stop. So let's just listen to the sound of the waves for a minute. My girlfriend's got a pretty good ear for these sort of things. She can tell when the tide is in or out purely by listening. I try to, but I'm not as accurate. We're about half an hour off of sunset now, and as these little waves come into the rocks and start to break, the, uh, and as the light shines through them, they're transformed just for a minute into these shining translucent antique gold waves. I could stay down here forever. I didn't bring the dog with me today. She, uh, she struggles to get over some of these boulders. Some of them are like four or five feet tall. Um, and she's only got little legs, bless her. So she'd, she'd give it a go, but she'd be absolutely shattered by the end of it. So uh, she had to sit this one out, unfortunately. I have to stop myself when I come to the beach from coming home with uh, all sorts of odds and ends of rope, etc. I'm of that disposition where I can see a use for everything. It's just a half-broken net that I spent about 10 minutes trying to pull out from a rock. And then I thought to myself, I don't need that. I don't need it. I'll never change though. I've been like it this long. That's a nice bit of wood. God, I can't believe I just said all that. And then I've just picked up a bit of scaffolding board that's beautifully weathered. <laughs> Maybe that'll make a good shelf. Yeah, that can make a shelf back in Field Study HQ. 
It's heavy though, it's waterlogged. Guess I'm carrying that the five miles home. Oh, I don't help myself, do I? Now I can see the path which I'm gonna be taking up towards the road, which means I'm no longer in danger of being cut off by the tide. So I'm gonna sit here for a bit and watch the sun sink into the sea. Once again, thank you for listening. This has been the Field Study Podcast. If you like what you heard, uh, head over to my YouTube channel. I will leave the link in the description and I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, take care.